Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz Elam, your host. I'm also the founder of Juicy. Juicy is an online membership community of co-working founders, an international conference series, and a global network of spaces called Juicy Places. When I'm not running Juicy, I'm consulting with the Deco Group and attending the University of Houston's graduate program in Foresight. I'm obsessed with the future of work. And in this season, we're talking about just that, the future. Let's dive in. I'm so excited to have my friend Philip with us. He is dialing in from where in Belgium exactly? Very close to Bruges, the medieval oh. town of Bruges. Lovely, lovely. And um, can you tell, I know a lot of people from Juicy know you already, but if you could tell us a little bit about your background, I think that would be super helpful. Sure. Uh, so I've spent like multiple decades in the computing and telecommunications industry that made me a fan of a lot of technology. But gradually, I started to realize that the application of technology is more important than the people that we should be serving first and foremost are people. And therefore, everything uh, that I've done over the past 15 years has to do with the smarter ways of working, be it flexible, agile, whatever. And in doing so, I had a lot of um, experimentations I did that got awards. I wrote a book about it, The Smarter Working Manifesto. And I had the pleasure of learning and being taught by Liz and Juicy about everything for working. I've been always happy to contribute in whichever way I can. I love it. Well, and I always start my podcast with the same question for everybody, which is, how are you? I'm actually fine, everything uh, considered. So uh, actually this morning, together with my wife, Rosemary, we had the first ever COVID uh, test done because we're going to fly tomorrow from Europe over UK to... uh, Texas, Austin, where my family is. So the first time in 22 months, we're going to be together, the family and the grandchildren and everything. Wonderful perspective. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, let's dive right in. You've had a very different experience being based in Europe this whole time. How has the pandemic affected your work? Yes. Well, first of all, my work is having done several decades of executive leadership. My work is actually at this very moment to be a thought leader, a consultant, educator, and coach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe sort of wondering what, what, what has been the change in focus. And I'm going to give you in general what that is and then two examples of customers. Yeah, And I'm going to talk about my personal work, right? So uh, first of all, the focus. Uh, it was, has been fantastic to see that people this time around are taking a longer horizon perspective on the challenges that they see. My job is actually largely convincing senior slash board members, which tend to be of the more skeptical kind that need to be, well, stepping in line with what the modern work philosophy is. Because there's so many people that need to be served, I often cannot do personally the coaching. So therefore, I'm educating change agents. And therefore, my focus is now not on mechanics, but on principles. I've actually come up with uh, 10 smarter working principles that have been tried and tested for quite a while. And I say to people, once you understand the principles that range from uh, equality, freedom to nature and so forth, once you understand the principles, then you can apply these things. But but if you don't abide or subscribe to the principles, you're not going to get anywhere. You'll just be a pretender. Yeah. So, And then the other thing that I've seen over the past 20 months is it's been amazing how there is little or no interest to talk about tech, technology, and spaces, be that offices, home, or co-working. It's like 
Forget about that. I mean, we need to learn about the new behaviors and the work styles. And about those spaces, well, we'll save a buck here and there. Yeah. And by the way, they're all telling homes are fine. And co-working, yeah, yeah, sure. But if you have no other choice. So those are the kind of topic trends. Very interesting, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask me where have I applied that, I had the pleasure of coaching a large global media house that has in its portfolio Business Insider and Business Intelligence, Forbes and Politico, not minor media uh, outfits, as you can imagine. And I was asked uh, about a year and a half ago by the CEO and the HR chief to come and help them because their 50 or so executives, various kinds, had uh, basically jumped over their heads to both the unions and also the board to tell them that this way of working, they were not equipped for. They were all like dying off very, very quickly. And they asked me to come and uh, coach them through that, an exercise called Towards Distributed Work Success. They didn't want to use the term hybrid because it's uh, it's all about office and home and then the other things are forgotten. So I tend to eliminate hybrid from my vocabulary because it's not very helpful. What they did is, the first thing they did is they took the entire 50 executives through a distributed leadership assessment with Laura Hambly's work evolution distributed leader profiling, whereby they could exactly see on 13 competencies to what extent the leaders were equipped for anything from diversity over remote performance management, work-life balance, and so forth, and so forth. And because of that, they could zoom in on common challenges and in the specific ones. Yeah, I had the pleasure of, of basically rolling it out through the HR and other teams to the organization. And mind you, the people that are listening to me are editors of these large titles, mm-hmm. uh, are journalists, because they have to write about that every day and they needed a context. So suddenly, I have editors calling me at points during the day saying, hey, Philip, this is new legislation coming out in Poland. And um, this is what the minister just said. What do you think are the ins and outs of applying all that kind of stuff? So suddenly I had this megaphone tapped onto my face with a company I was uh, helping. They had a very, very big Business Insider Global Trend Festival last year in November. And I was asked to contribute substantially to their work day, anything that had to do with work culture. Um, They challenged me in many ways. They said, Philip, no, you don't have the usual 45 minutes. You got 17 minutes. You gave me once 12 minutes. So that was a good dress rehearsal. (laughs) So, and their boss is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's a CEO as in chief engagement officer. Yeah. And he's a guy that is completely exemplar and inspiring on servant leadership. Not something which is that new, but the, the way he, in a vulnerable way, is um, just taking it on is fantastic. I'm a big fan of him. I'm showing him. So that's like the corporate side. On the other side, more recently, I had a born-in-COVID startup, a guy about my age, which was going to launch a new product, software product for forecasting. Forecasting in difficult times. They call that demand sensing these days. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, Philip, I'm a happy person. I managed to recruit two dozen plus people ranging from Seattle over London to Belgium, to India and places in between. And I would love to have them stay with me because at this very moment, they can basically jump off one LinkedIn conversation to another and I lose them. And he says, I'm not going to be one of these companies that will wait five years to discover what the new world of work is like. I would like to make sure that in my manifesto, the principles of smart working are not just articulated, but seasoned for our business. And then can you help my executive team of six to understand 
what this activity-based working is about, what a virtual interactive professional, a VIP, is all about. And I, I helped them with, with the online kind of education mechanism. I have to all try to do this myself, whereby I invited them to do some must-do reading to then summarize this stuff, have dialogues around it, summarize it quickly, all uh, within the limits of the time that they could spend. So very interesting to see people that see the need, apply it, but typically both of them at the very top driving the whole thing personally and wanted to shine it out to potential talent and to their customers. Fantastic. Now, coming back around my personal situation. So, I mean, I, I am a globetrotter, you know that. yeah. And then suddenly, surprise, surprise, I was stuck too. I was here in Belgium and I ended up sitting behind my desk like never before. I'd never had this. And, and suddenly I, I found out that because I'm quite frequently in the flow, as you know. yeah. So therefore, once I sit and do some interesting things, I just keep on sitting. So I said to myself, hold on, mate, you're not going to be able to sustain that too long. So therefore, you've got to energize. And suddenly now energizing is becoming the most important thing for me in my work life. Yeah, And that means, therefore, that I, I currently, I actually don't stand. Uh, I sit on a, on a stool, a bar stool, if you want, but I stopped sitting in things that have a back. So no seats anymore with back. My, I feel more active, more proactive. I don't have this lean over kind of thing. Yeah, um, And uh, other than the sports that I normally do, it's all about moving. I love domestic assignments. Yeah, I love being in my garden. Anything that gets me moving is best. Let me tell you why. Because I have found a study that says that humans, yeah, when they sit down, their heart rate goes to a low level that doesn't pump the necessary substances to the brain for it to be of any cognitive capacity, be it just reading or actually being creative. So it's now proven that if people on the other side look a bit pale in a Zoom call, it's not to do with poor lighting. It is actually that they are pale. Yeah. So, I mean, we know that the sedentary life has always been said to be the next smoking. It is, and it cannot be reminded enough because we just default to that all the time. Yeah. The second thing is that I'm, I'm a showman. You know that. I'm on stage. I have a story to tell and I do a presentation. I've never done any TED speeches, but the point is that how do you actually orchestrate a TED talk where normally you have the choreography and the full body language with a big screen behind you, you can point at it and things like that. Try to do that from a 10 square meter kind of uh, office. It's impossible, right? So these things are the things that I had to change. And actually I have to commit, confess that the that the place that I have don't doesn't qualify, so I decided to design with a, an excellent architect a studio that I'm going to be putting in my garden that will be revealed somewhere next year. But I also invested um, by way of a showcase in a in a smallish kind of penthouse with a large large deck attached to it, where I'm going to be building an example of what is a work home. And a work home is a home that is there to enjoy life at large, as much as working. Because most of the premises that we are living in at this very moment are absolutely not fit for the kind of things that we got to do, right? So, and then the last thing in terms of what happened is I made a lot of friends. So uh, Andy Lake, which is the godfather of uh, agile and flexible working in the UK, we met 10 years ago. We met again over the summertime. He runs the UK Smart Working Network for change agents by change agents, which are sharing warts and all kinds of stuff. It's closed group and it's like you don't talk about what you hear here. And 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 we, we set it up for the rest of Europe. Yeah, I met a lady called Martine Devan, which I met actually three years ago, wanted to bring her to South by Southwest. And she wrote a book called Weeting. It's like meeting, but with the 
with the M flipped up, upside down. Yeah, and she she did a, a doctoral thesis on this topic and published a fantastic book in Dutch for now. Yeah, about how we can do a lot of our work whilst walking around from the scientific research over the methodologies that can be used over uh, how do you deal with people that have reservations silly and other so and and i'm now really thinking that the workspaces for us to live in need to be like nests where you are indoor where you have no choice and then you go out and you come back in right the third person i met in belgium is a lady called on the bishop which was the first ever well-being director in a large company in Belgium. Yeah, She was the head of radio and uh, and so forth in that large media house. And she, surprise, surprise, hit the wall, uh, burnout style. Yeah, And she said, I, I want to do something else. I want to make sure others don't get that. And she wrote two books, which is, thank God it's Monday and well-being equals profit. Yeah, And uh, so the, the, the nice thing for me is that uh, I, I, I meet still a lot of interesting people that I can curate and take forward. And more of that, of course, every time you want, I'll be happy to share. <laughs> well, thank you, Philip. That was awesome. Yeah, I actually took a page from your book during the pandemic and I started walking mm-hmm. um, every single day. And now I crave it and I manage my day around making sure I get a walk in. And when I don't, I'm very grumpy about it. And then I started realizing that I'd kind of lost my yoga practice. So mm-hmm. now I go to bed a little earlier so I can get up a little earlier so I can do yoga first thing in the morning, which has been a game changer for me because I was like becoming a little bit too inflexible. And so, yeah, I just, you know, those, the nature and taking care of yourself is just so, so important. So, you know, a lot has changed with work because of the pandemic. And I don't think we even need to go over the obvious stuff because we all know we've already covered it in other podcasts, but what are you thinking is going to happen in 2022? You know, before the Omicron, or I don't even know how you say it, variant came out, I was like, 2022 is the roaring 20s. It's coming back, huge wave. And I still believe that. But how much do you think that's going to affect how work comes back in 2022? Well, look, I mean, I'm uh, letting you know that for two days now, Belgium is back into a near lockdown. This is wave four. And uh, you are allowed a maximum of one day to be in a shared office space or the office, right? That's that's reality here. So as far as I'm concerned, 2022 looks for me like a deja vu of 2020 and 2021. In fact, it's throwing us back two years, right? Uh, so it means... Uh, ongoing potentially even more work from home yeah it means people get ever more fed up with all the digital tools that that they want to minimize and therefore don't get into this digital addiction be it social or uh, business Uh, but i also see at this moment that the workspace migration will happen yeah i think there is a, a slow realization that the open office is largely dead why? Because um, in, a, in an open, all those people which are thinking we're going to go back just for co-work, co-collaboration to the office, don't understand. As soon as you're done with a meeting, you're going to be called upon to join into a virtual event. And then you need to participate with energy, that style or not. And you're going to make a lot of noise. You can't do that in a large open office space. So it will flip from an 80 landscape to a 80, not just a phone booth kind of thing with or without doors, but something that I call a proper kind of work studio. And that will need to pervade 
um, as much home, co-working, office, and other things. Yeah. So this is so interesting. Okay, I have to now go off script because yeah. <laughs> I'm just so fascinated by this because I have to disagree a little bit. Oh, do you? Go ahead. For me personally, yeah. And you're going to be like yeah. going into full culture shock when you come into yeah. Austin, Texas, yeah. because there is no lockdown. Co-working mm-hmm. is back. The co-working spaces yeah. are packed all throughout yeah. the city. Mm-hmm. Everybody's back. Now, there is a big demand for office and there's a big demand for phone booths because so much of work has moved to Zoom or Teams or whatever. But for me, because I feel like I kind of understand how this thing spreads and it's Mm -hmm. a viral air spread, right? And in the past, I saw a really good video where they showed it spreading like cigarette smoke, right? Mm -hmm. So all these like plastic barriers don't really do anything. Mm -hmm. So what I want to be, I want to be in an open workspace. I want to be not trapped in between walls. And I'm actually a little nervous about phone booths. And I frequently prop the door open for a little while, sanitize it, and then jump in. Because I don't want to be trapped in four walls. I want the least amount of walls possible. Well, and I know where there's no walls, you know it too. It's outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, if you ask me, uh, it was just no opportunity for me in the past 22 months to even go into a co-working space, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not not as abundantly available where I am. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, if you want to meet somebody, it's like, well, you prefer you're going to do it outdoors. If you're going to do it indoors, you just swing open every possible window and door, right? Mm-hmm. And well, you could as well go outdoors. In, in Austin, that should be easier than to make it happen in Europe where I live here. But the, the point is that I, mean, you, I, I am very well briefed by, by my family in, in Austin about the situation. And we see the kind of night and day in some cases. Yeah. So I hope I'm not going to have principal discussions about this in the coming weeks. But uh, <laughs> you you asked me to, uh, to to say what we see in Europe, yeah? yeah. And in Europe, it is. I mean, there's not a lot of people. I mean, the, but let me get clear: the need for having a social or collaborative environment with other people is undeniable. Yeah, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about it later. But therefore, I still advocate a 50-50 of doing your personal work where it's most productive, potentially from home, and then find other places to be together. And of course, the question is, where is that? For me, in Europe at this very moment is, if it's at all possible, do it outdoors. Yeah, If it's indoors, it better be in a place that is well-treated from a air circulation point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and and But there's a lot of hurdles, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are afraid. I mean, if you look at the first spread of Omicron, right, what did we see? I mean, it happened with uh, two people across the hall from each other in, in, in a hotel and it jumped to, to the air conditioning system. Well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in a hotel in Heathrow tomorrow evening. I'm not really sure. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. So, you know, you are an expert in mental yep. and physical health. Yep. And it's funny, I've asked a couple of people this question and as I've been like, you know, I've been a huge advocate around, in particular, mental health issues. Yep. But I feel like it's gotten this great um, press and everybody understands it's a priority now. Like, 
do we need to jump off of our soapbox or do we need to continue to bring it up? Well, I think the penny has dropped with a lot of people undeniably. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. getting it is one thing. Making sure that you apply this new wisdom mm-hmm. is hard because it involves new habits on the individuals. It means updating workspaces. It means new leaders. So, And it's more than just tactical stuff. We know the tactical stuff. I've known companies where a third or half of the people have visited for the first time in their lives a psychologist or a therapist, right? And they're working on the consequences, not necessarily on, on, on the elements that need focusing, right? So it's not tactical. I mean, it goes back to me working uh, or enjoying the European Mentally Fit Institute, you know, which is basically saying that uh, energizing is the most important thing, right? I mean, for me, the, key, the core work activities are currently authoring, yeah, doing your personal work, presenting or selling, and interacting. But if you do that all day long behind smaller large screens, yeah, then it is extremely exhausting and therefore energizing is not part of work. Now, you explain that to a conventional boss, that energizing is something that is the first and foremost thing to be done before you get to work, ever so often during work and then after. And people which come from the sports world, they say, well, guess what? If you're a top football player or a basketball player, you energize, you build up resilience, and you get paid for that too. And afterwards, you perform. So energizing, so therefore this whole culture about energizing first, yeah, it is 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 something that people need to understand and bake into the principles of work, mm-hmm. the surrounding environments, the habits and the training that comes with that. So for me, uh, we need more Ben. We need more breaks to energize with nature, right? And you you're convinced. You explained to me that you're doing that a lot. But are, are you? Do you feel that like four out of five people are doing that consistently? I think we all have, you know, really great intentions and then life happens and work happens. And what works for me is scheduling it just like I do every other meeting. If I schedule it, it happens. If I don't schedule it, it can get run over. Um, And, you know, it was interesting. There was, I think it was a Wall Street Journal had an article, which was like, the worst of both worlds, going back to the office and then being stuck on a Zoom call. It's mm-hmm. like, we've got to protect ourselves and we've got to protect, you know, our brains by mm-hmm. doing things that are good for us. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people learned that, you know, when they you start working from home, it seems amazing. And then when you have no choice and life is happening in your home, because I believe your home should be your haven, not your workplace, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's really hard to, you know, motivate yourself because yep. there's nobody else here, mm-hmm. right? Or there's, True. you know, you you've, your colleagues are non-existent except for on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's really hard to stay consistent. But yes. once you do, and once you've given that two weeks or a month, your body is like, I expect this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I actually, the architect that is helping me for my guard studio project, he has, actually has extended every room in his house with an exterior part. So guess what? He is sleeping six months a year with the bed outdoors. Yeah? And he just moved back in for the winter time. And he says, we had a hard time sleeping for three weeks because we were used to the open air kind of uh, (laughs) sleeping. And he says, I mean, getting back in was really, really hard to get going. Now, of course, I mean, how many people do that? But it's just, it just tends in the same direction that there's things that nature are giving us that we cannot ignore, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as 
you know, we evolve mentally and physically. How do you see work evolving and co-working and flexible work and all these real estate people are coming in and saying, we're doing flexible work and all the co-working spaces that are in a good environment are starting to really thrive. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think, first of all, I, I said earlier on that I'm not a big fan of the word hybrid because it mm-hmm. tends to it tends to compare the office, I mean, typically the employer's office mm-hmm. with, uh, with home. In reality, um, I think co-working will become part of the space mix it will become a standard right mm-hmm. and, and for me that uh, that workspace mix uh, goes is quad working quad as in home office nature and co-working you can mm-hmm. it, it rhymes like honk home <laughs> office nature co-working and I'm, I'm actually very pleased to see that some of the people i work with are already totally embracing it. The startup that I was talking about, I mean, it's not planning to have any office in the world whatsoever. And the leader is camping in a co-working space, which is sponsored by uh, one of the largest banks, where I'm also banking with. And he says that that's, that's the default office. It's a co-working space. And he mm-hmm. says that thanks to the co-working space, is it's, it's giving him energy and, and resilience to work. One example, yeah. The uh, the other large media company, which is spread over 10 countries in Europe, says, well, we're only going to have offices of a certain critical mass, right? And that mm-hmm. sort of starts with them 25 plus people. And therefore, anything else, any kind of local offices that they have, of course, they're going to be using co-working. I, I was actually talking to another company called uh, Vista, Vista Print. Mm-hmm. And um, they, are, they, they are very proud to be remote slash virtual first, which I think is a bit of a bit of an exaggeration. So I, I pinged them and I said to him, what about co-working? He said, of course, he says. I mean, everybody that starts to work with us gets quite a, an envelope of money to get going on infrastructure at home. And nice. guess what? There's a little batch in there, a subscription to mm-hmm. go to a series of co-working spaces. And he says, well, I'm not going to be wasting money to set up further offices that we already have, right? Right. Now, and, and, but then I see other big trends, which I think are important. I know that you and Juicy have been hammering on the fact that hospitality as an industry uh, needs to be a big inspirer. So mm-hmm. I had the pleasure with my Italian friends to work with people in Puglia. Puglia in Italy, which is where oh, the great. Pr- to go. I've not been yet. I'm dying to go. You should. Good primitivo wines. Yeah. But <laughs> many other things that you will be interested in. So they, I talked to them about a year ago, and they were talking at a provincial level to change the tourism industry, whereby the new persona is a two, an everywhere two. And a two is a persona that stands for travel with experiences and work. And what they want to do is they basically want to say, you're not going to come to Italy for a week. What can you do in a week in Italy, right? Come for a month or even longer, right? And in doing so, we're going to make sure that the traditional hospitality is like, as you would expect it, but you will have an experience of of connecting with the locals, their history, their habits and all that stuff like never before. Not like this very quick kind of tour with a guide and with a little pamphlet, but, but third, work. So travel experience work is going to be in it. And Philip, we would like to make sure that we're inspired by you. What we need to do? Well, it's going to be more than Wi-Fi. It's going to be good Wi-Fi in the garden, nearby the pool. It's going to have good acoustics in all the rooms. It's going to have good lighting so I can do my TED show. From So, I mean, there is people, and I'm doing the same thing with people in Austria at this very moment, Yeah, which are basically saying, hey, and you know what? We're going to take a leaf out of the co-working kind of thing, right? So you see an interesting blend where mm-hmm. hospitality is going to suck 
work that up. Then the other oh, thing yeah. is that that for sure, and I'm I'm working in three countries that I have people in the co-working industry which are saying, you know what, that thing about nature and getting the co-working uh, out of cities into suburbs, ideally on the countryside, and why not in exotic places? Is I mean, you there's so many articles in whatever publications. That, look, I mean, if you can have a maximum of one day a week that you can show up at an office, yeah, then it's begging to be in Mallorca or yeah. in whatever, Madagascar. I have to yeah. say, well, sure, that pays back. And in the meantime, I'll have to heat up my place in Northern Europe. So what we're saying is there's bigger trends happening at this very moment. So I don't think we'll have to spell out to people what the benefits are of working in a shared space. or, or but, but it's going to be the same thing again. People will want to have the opportunity to co-work, but to have this hotel room, which is the inner sanctum for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Believe me, uh, I mean, for me, this studio, private kind of thing where you can kick ass is still so important. And a lot of hotels, the better hotels, have the right acoustics. You can actually take a shower in between two meetings. Uh, So you can see the convergence of a lot of things uh, happening. Well, that's definitely, definitely happening. Like there's a large hotel that has co-working here in the States and abroad. And they actually have said that they think the co-working is going to be better than the hotel business. And then, you know, a core has gone in huge. And yeah, that's actually a trend we see continuing for well, sure. And there's other things. I'm not sure if you read the article about the chap which was uh, overseeing at Apple, their their car adventure, their potential car adventure, right? And he's done with Ford or some uh, other mm-hmm. traditional. And he basically said that the cars that they are currently producing will not require a lot of driving. And that therefore it's not that far from us that people will be saying hey why don't we actually watch that movie in in the backseat of my next generation tesla right Mm -hmm. and by the way if i really have to concentrate on on doing something i'm going to do it in my car you know what we'll order this new x9 from bmw we'll order the the version without the wheels yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm saying wow this is very interesting so people are saying that they want to have studios which look like a bit like the better car. I mean, I think you're driving an audio some, some kind, so you know about perfection. Oh, no, cars. I upgraded to a Tesla. I haven't been. Oh, you have you? Oh, well, fantastic. Good. But in any case, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is that people will need to have good social infrastructure. You gave me the reading assignment. People need good social infrastructure where co-working mm. is the, the top, right? Mm. Because it is a variety of diverse people that you can meet, you can learn from people. Yeah. So for me, it this this bipolar kind of thing with, with co-working and a good home kind of arrangements mm-hmm. are the two things, the yeah. two parts of the spectrum that need to come together. Well, you have your terminology. The terminology I have am putting forth in my co-working Megatrends article is boundaryless work. It's boundaryless work. Yeah. So, you know, if working from home works for you for a couple of days a week, do that. If it's an office for the day, do that. If it's co-working for a couple of days, do that. And that's literally what I've been doing, you know, like when I'm recording and maybe a podcast. I work from home. Yep. Tomorrow I'll work at a co-working space yep. and I kind of pop around to different co-working spaces depending on where my meetings are in town. So I really enjoy boundaryless work and that's what everyone's going to end up doing. Absolutely right. And it's all driven by what we do more than anything else. But look, Liz, there's still a lot of people in corporations which are giving targets like two days here, three days there and all that stuff. I mean, these are aggregate figures about what you do in the end and again 
given week, but setting these out to people as mandates, it just doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. They've got to figure out what works for them and you've got to give them the freedom to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I have a family member who works for a old school corporation and they have put out some mandates and it was Mm -hmm. funny to watch because people were just like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not coming back and doing that. And they didn't fire them. And so like, I guess it's okay. And so it's just kind of interesting because yeah, the corporations you're working with are the leaders and the ones Mm -hmm. that are really innovative. Most corporations aren't like that. You know, one of the reasons I think co-working will do really well and better than the real estate's flexible work, whatever, Mm -hmm. which is just their version of co-working is I think as people went remote, people haven't been in the office, people haven't had the opportunity to be around other humans is I think that what's going to happen is people will really stay in the co-working spaces because that's where the culture is going to be. Because the corporations can't figure out culture when people are, you know, working from home and working from a co-working space and come into the office three times a month, how do you do culture then? Yeah, it's it's very hard to do. But actually, there is the whole thing about real estate, I mean, how we work and live, the places that we work and live, is is seriously out of date. I mean, oh, it's, it's an gone. industry that uh, that is that's a hundred years old. I mean, so you you must have heard the figures by by Leesman. Leesman mm-hmm. says that at this very moment, seventy six percent of all the people they interview do not want to go back to that office that they had. Three right. out of four people, right? That's yeah. not an accolade, right? Number two, they say that two out of three people do not have the bare minimum to work from home. That means basically means that we don't have homes nor offices to do something decent. Now, what's behind all of this? Behind that is an industry which is uh, outdated, retarded, if I can use the term, yeah, and which has a a model which is all there, why not, I mean, to make profit, but not provide value for the people that have to live in it, I mean, humans, yeah? They are Mm -hmm. thinking outside in, not inside out. I mean, the number of people that I check, builders, architects, and I ask them if they heard about ergonomics and how to apply it. If I ask them if they understand what the well-building standard is, but biophilia, still 19 out of 20 don't know it. Yeah. If I ask them to make a proposal, they are sort of not reacting with a little underskin arrogancy. I mean, I've had experiences here lately where I'm saying, guys, your days are counted. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and and this this thing needs to be turned upside down. A lot of people are are taking initiative in that area. I'm sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I keep giving people the healthy workplace nudge and trying to yep. get them to read that because. Yep. That gives you the data to prove that like you have to redesign these spaces. And I was actually very confused as to why like my phone wasn't ringing off the hook from people being like, I've got to redesign my office. Because what Mm. all of these companies should have been doing is literally scraping their floors and starting over because the old way is not going to work anymore. People aren't going to work like that. Your your offices are going to all end up looking like co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. 
just how lobbies look like co-working spaces now. Yep. All of that's going to continue. And if yep. you think people are going to come back to a cubicle, you got another thing coming because that is not happening. Like, and I love it. I love it because it's like power to the people. It's like the yep. people are like, I will not accept this. And then my prediction is actually that's just base level now, right? That's yep. base level. You've got to provide a really inspiring, better space yep. with nature, with greater air quality, with great meeting rooms, with great everything, ergonomics, biophilia, you got to have all that. That's baseline now. The next level is what is your company um, investing in? What is your company believing in? Because they're not just going to work for you because you make money. They're going to work for you because they believe in your mission and they believe in what you invest in and they believe in what you stand for. If you don't figure that out, you are history. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, so the companies that I see where things are going better is the ones which are anchoring their venture into meaning. And you, you've, meaning is one thing, but also companies that have a profound belief that uh, most human beings have good intent and have some value add to provide. And to unlock this at the personal and team level is important. And to realize that human potential, people need that kind of social infrastructure mm-hmm. and the right kind of workplace settings to do that. I mean, if that then starts by exemplar behavior at the top, where it's not just done for the sake of changing the way, but where there's a clear linkage in between the fact that working that way brings in organization success, as in making money, building market share and all that stuff. That's the way to do it. That's the way I did it at Pantronics in the in the old days, mm-hmm. whereby the company was flourishing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was shown in talent, performing, retention, and so forth. And uh, and therefore, there was never a question about why are we going to spend twenty five million to build an office in Amsterdam? I mean, that's that 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 was like given. It was proven so many times, and now you can do the next thing. So, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, I think the good news is I think the future is super bright for the humans. Well, I, I think it is. I mean, if you ask me, what is the kind of attitude that people need to have? I think it's it's the, uh, resilience is very important. People need to stay resilient. You need to stay healthy. Otherwise, nothing else is going to happen. Number two, mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you are vulnerable to the extent that you haven't learned everything and that you need to be open-minded to these things. I think, and it requires an element of proactiveness, mm-hmm. uh, which which is not a given for everybody. But it, I, I would you look. I mean, look at what happened over the past two years. We can, of course, say, why the heck do we have a Ford wave coming over us? And the answer is, well, look what we've done, right? I think it's amazing how humans in general have been resilient to adapt to this stuff. It hasn't oh, been easy, yeah. I mean, yeah. how how people are finally seeing the light on alternatives, how people are getting to the asking fundamental questions. What, what is work in our lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah? What is work in my career? What is work in this tour of duty that I have? What are the key, the key guiding lights? What are the key foundations that I need for these things? So a lot of people, because anything that has to do with reconfiguring stuff is no longer there. I mean, I keep on asking to people, let's understand the nature of work. What are these people doing? How can you do good authoring? Mm -hmm. How can you do good selling from a distance? Mm -hmm. How can you be doing balanced listening to people? And and if that is done, uh, then, then you can start to configure uh, what the spaces are, and uh, and and that has look, Martina Devan on Weetings has done a lot of research, and with people that are changing, she has said is it's amazing how many people that don't think about what they do as know-how work, and because they don't think, they mm. cannot have a framework of reference of what they need to come up with. Yeah, yeah, and that that's that's well said. 
Yeah. Well, Philip, I always learn so much from you. Your passion is exuding through the microphone as per usual. It's just such a pleasure to have this time with you. And, you know, it's interesting. I used to stand up on stage and say, thank you for coming to Juicy because the most valuable asset you have is your time. And then I figured out I was wrong. The most valuable asset you have is your health. And I really appreciate you always reminding us of that. Well, and uh, Liz, I want to thank you because uh, quite a bit of things that I was saying here today with you, I had the opportunity to say it to the industry that you're coaching in uh, Denver. You remember? Yeah. Because at that point in time, we were talking about uh, co-working and human realization and how it can contribute. So I think uh, to come back to what you said earlier, uh, we still have to keep on banging the drums. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because a lot of what we say has not been translated and those people, well, we're going to be persistent. We're not going to give up. So what's so interesting is every single person that I've asked that to and said, you know, do I still need to do this? They've all been like, yes, yes, you do. (laughs) Of course, of course. Let's keep at it. I'm looking forward to see you in a couple of days. Yes, I will see you soon, Philip. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Liz. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz Elam, your host. You can learn more about all things Juicy has to offer at Juicy.co, which is G-C-U-C dot C-O. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to the Juicy podcast. Stay tuned. We have more episodes on the way. Bye.